Okay, listen up. Put your thinking caps on today. You've got to exercise your brain. Why? Because of foreknowledge and predestination. I smile about this. I love these terms. Two colossal terms found in Scripture and they set in motion the highest of all doctrines. These uh, two that we're talking about today are the first two links of what is called the golden chain. It has five links and it. it's found in verse 29 and verse 30 of chapter 8. And uh, it uh, really is emphasizing what we've been looking at in chapter 8 of Romans all the way. It's the promise of eternal life, uh, security, the guarantee of eternal glory. Uh, where we're at today is we're talking about the depths, the heights of this doctrine. They're so profound, these doctrines are, that we're just going to be able to hit the tip of the iceberg. And if we studied it for months and years and years, we would still be at the tip of the iceberg. This is phenomenal. The very deep truths that we have here, we're going to try to understand as much as we can we do have to remember we have limited minds. We are humans. And this depth that we have here cannot bore us. It can only make us want more. And so it does over the course of years. Uh, it will make you want more of the grand purpose of God. And that's what we're going to try to grasp. It's a little bit of a journey into a realm of truth for which we are not fully equipped to be able to handle this, but we recognize right here at the beginning we are going to get pretty deep. Matter of fact, if you've been into a pool that you thought was just a little shallow and then you got deeper and deeper, all of a sudden you find yourself almost uh, in... Uh, in a sense of over our heads, right? As we, we can drown in this stuff. Uh, it is amazing, though, what it is. It's beyond our capability. We know that. We have limits. God is a divine person, and He is infinite. So every doctrine that we get into, we have that same ordeal, but uh, we have a very controversial subject and why it is, I don't know, because every Christian ought to embrace these doctrines. I mean, they are at the highest. This is all about God and His glory and putting us into His plan and being able to fu fulfill it. He will accomplish everything that He says. Romans 8 is about that. And boy, we hit a pinnacle where we're at right here. We hit a pinnacle of the Bible right here. Uh, I don't have to sell you on it, and the moment you read it, you go, wow, what does this mean? But I will tell you, God, when He puts something into His Word, it's not some of those kind of things that you go, oh, this is too hard to understand. I'm not even going to try to read it or understand it. It's too far beyond me. God makes everything clear and understandable. He just doesn't give us the full depth of it all because it will take an eternity to know all of these things about Him. Uh, this is about eternal destiny. This is where everything's going. This is God's purpose that goes back in before creation all the way into the future glory. 
And it's not about us and our decision to follow Christ. It's about His decision that He made long before the foundation of the world. He made the choice. We hear the words decision and choice. It's about what God did. And when we look at this text, we will see that it's a lot different than some of the evangelical church proclaims today. Uh, God decided long before there was creation that He would be bringing you, you've trusted in Him, He's the one that gave you that belief, that faith. Long before that foundation, He had a purpose. It's an ultimate purpose, and it goes far beyond even us being saved. Here's the deal. He longed, the Father longed for the Son to have a bride. And He chooses people out of His own love to be that bride and to be made like His Son, very much like His Son. So they would be in a way to glorify Him in the most ultimate way. This is what everything is all about. God planned in long in the ages before, before there were ages. And He said, I'm going to bring a few people. I'm going to bring people together. They are going to be given to My Son as a gift. And they are going to be just like Him. And they will be glorified like He is so they can give Him ultimate praise. And we'll see that in our text today and the next few weeks. I didn't make that up. This is where, this is, this is where everything is going. Long before creation, this was God's purpose, His whole plan. And that is just staggering. He will bring it to pass. It is certain we respond to Him by the prompting of the Holy Spirit of God to trust in Him, but it's all His purpose. God's purpose is about His glory. His purpose is the ultimate glory to His Son. The Son will have brethren, that's men and women, that will be made in the very image of Christ in every way. Just like Him. So like Him that we will resemble Him and that we will make Him preeminent among His brethren. Us. We get glory, glorified bodies. He will be the preeminent one, the very first one of all of us. And that's exciting. So if we're in His purpose, if we're in His plan, we have an ultimate guarantee of our glorification. Romans 8 is about that. That totally goes against the grain who people say in most denominations actually believe you can lose your salvation. Can you believe that? Did they ever read Romans 8? Did they ever read the book of John? Did they ever read throughout all of Scripture about this glorious plan that is here? And it's forever. It's guaranteed. Did they read the book of Ephesians? Where have they been? Why would they teach that it's up to you to get saved and it's up to you to keep it? That is a matter of works and has nothing to do with what Scripture says. That's why this is so exciting. 
We are to be glorified with the Son of God. We'll never be God. We'll never be Christ, but we'll be made just like Him in His image. And it will result in all His honor and all His glory. God is working in all the detailed circumstances. Remember Romans 8.28? That's where all of this kind of started, this subsection 28, 29, and 30. For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. It's exciting. It's exciting. Every circumstance that comes into your life, He's using to make you like Christ. Verse 29 and 30, God accomplishes this purpose. Salvation does not depend, listen to this, on our faith. You say, that's totally different than what I've heard all my life. Except if you've been here. But, did you get that? Salvation does not depend upon your faith. Wait a minute, that sounds really foreign. No, you see, remember in Ephesians 2 where it says, we are saved by grace through faith. What are we saved by? His grace. His mercy. His love. We're saved by His grace through the channel of faith that He grants to us. It's not even ours, and we'll prove that in uh, a few minutes as we go along. Uh, The whole idea is our faith is necessary, but He will give it to us so that we can know what all this is because you see our minds are so depraved we cannot understand the deep things of God. And once He opens up your heart and gives you truth, you now can understand Him and forever will continue to learn Him more. And I would pray from week to week as we come in here and from day to day on your own studies and your own uh, reading that you would continue to be built up even more. There's no reason to stay put in your uh, growth. And your growth really has to go forward, doesn't it? So the Word of God will open up more and more to you. This passage that we're in, 29 and 30, that we'll be dealing with the next few weeks, this shows how it happens. How does salvation happen? What most people would say is whenever I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. No, no, it it starts before the foundation of the world. It started with God. And it ends with God. It's all God. 100%. And that's why we are assured that we have eternal life if He made it happen. You know, there's no greater scope given to the activity of salvation than where we are at right here today. This is why I'm excited. This is the greatest scope to see the activity that God has dealing with salvation. And so, take it as a privilege, open up your Bibles, We're going to read these high and lofty Scriptures about the eternal purpose. And be ready, folks, to be highly blessed if you're paying attention. If you're thinking, let's stand. You're going to be highly blessed and remember that we're dealing with the very mind of God. The very purpose of God. It's incredible. And we humbly approach what God has laid out before us in this feast 
of the Word of God that you are going to partake of here today. Romans 8, 29, after we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Here we go. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. Let's pray. Father, as we go through this very, very glorification of Scripture, Today, Lord, may we be able to glean as much as we possibly can. And it makes us have such a higher view of You than ever before. It is all You. Scripture says He. It's You. You did it. You are doing it. You will do it. You have done it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Oh, Wow. Take a breath. We start with foreknowledge. And we have to start with foreknowledge. This is where it starts. And it's a chain. And these are all in the order they need to be. Foreknowledge, therefore, would be of utmost importance to understand. It is hugely important as we go through the rest of the text. You have to get this one first, or elsewise nobody's going to get the rest of it. Most, I think, in the evangelical realm today are very confused of what foreknowledge is. Foreknowledge, when we take the word apart, it's very easy to figure out what it is saying in a human understanding. For is before, and knowledge is knowledge. It's having knowledge beforehand. So you can see why people would say, okay, you know what? God is all-knowing, and because He's all-knowing, He can look through the tunnel, down through the annals of time, and He can see the people that are going to choose Him the ones who are going to make a decision for Christ. He can see them, and so therefore, because of their faith, He then predestines them to bring into uh, the family of God. And so at at some time, then those people are called and and such. But uh, that is wrong. Uh, That is an X. It's not a check. It is an F. Because... It is not saying that, and we will have to prove that, of course. It would be easy for me to say, no, it doesn't mean that. So we're going to use the Greek, and we are also going to use the Scripture, which is the most important, and we're going to look at other Scriptures in the context of what we look at. We use proper hermeneutics, and with the hermeneutics, we interpret this correctly. 
Uh, otherwise, we can get it all wrong and say, well, this is what it means. It means God looked down through, saw that we were going to come to Him, all those who would believe on Him, then He chooses them. What He foreknew or foresees is their faith. Now, I want you to look at the text. See, this is what the, those people would be saying. He saw your face, so therefore He would choose you. Uh, many of us are guilty of this. Probably almost every one of us believed that at one time. And you say, oh, Dennis, is this a new teaching? No, it's, it's not new at all. It's as old as Scripture. Uh, it was taught by the Apostle Paul. Uh, it was taught by the, the church at Gustin. And you can go down through the history of church of the church and you will see that we are in agreement with the history of the church, even the translations. And so therefore, we are the ones... We don't really have to prove this. We're not trying to prove it to them, but what we are doing is trying to anchor ourselves on what, what is truth and see what God has really done. And not you, but what He has done. So, that's what they would say. It's your faith. What does the passage say? For those whom He foreknew... Does, do you, first of all, do you see the word faith there? You don't. You see for those, and that is absolutely correct. It's the absolute right connection. It's talking about the, what, who are those? It's not angels. It's not demons. It's not animals. It's not plants. It is man. The ones that he is choosing, electing. For those, he's talking about people, he's not talking about faith here. Right at this moment, it doesn't have anything to do with faith, although he will grant that. Right now, he's saying, for those whom he foreknew, for those whom, whom is person, those is person, so he's not saying that he foreknew what certain of his creatures would do or have faith. It's not there. That is totally out of the context. The context is people. They're creatures that are people. It's not about human actions, about what people would do. We definitely know it's not works. He's not talking about that. He's talking about those. And we'll get into a moment about what those are. It's not that they choose Him. And that's what they would be saying. It's not that. See, it starts with God before the foundation for those whom He foreknew. Uh, and now what I want to do is say, uh, we've got to ask the question, where, where does faith come from? We know that we're saved by grace through faith. Is faith necessary? Absolutely. Believe in God, right? Trust in Christ. Put your whole life out on Him. Trust. So that's a key word. It certainly is. We're justified by faith. We've been talking about that through all Romans. So nobody can declare me guilty of saying it doesn't take faith. It does. But where does it come from? And when we get that together, all of a sudden things start coming together. You see, it's not natural for somebody to have faith in God, is it? Do you remember the first three chapters of Romans? 
and it declared everyone guilty. Not only that, there are none who does good. There is no one who chooses God. There is no one who pursues Him. There is no one after Him. They, matter of fact, Romans talks about they hate God. We are at enmity with God. So it has to start with God, not man. So where does it come from? Oh, let's start in John 3. Everybody knows about John 3. John 3.16 people know it. Well, what is set up before John 3.16? By the way, I have no problem with John 3.16 at all. I love it. But what's the context? Well, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and starting in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So you have to be born again. How do you do that? Just say, oh, I believe in God, right? Well, Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, those two together, unless you're born of that, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. We were born in the flesh, right? And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It takes the Spirit of God for us to be children of God. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Here it is. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's a a mysterious spiritual thing that it's not that we cause it to happen. It comes from God. We don't know where it comes from, where it's going, right? Because, I'll back this up, in John 1, verse 13, he's talking about the ones who believe in His name. And he says, who are born, there's that same word, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're born of Him. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in John 3. Exactly the same thing. He says the ones who believe in His name are the ones who are born of God. Not of their own will. Not of their own blood or the the flesh. But it's the will of God. So He eliminates free will to choose God on our own. Right there is enough. Honestly. But we have so much more. And just to show you, John just didn't teach this. But we see it throughout Scripture. Go to John 6.44. We'll continue with John just for a moment. These are lock tight. These really say it very clearly. John 6.44, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. And if He draws him, what's going to happen? I will raise him up on the last day. Is that everybody? No. Most people won't do that. They won't come to Him. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. That's a believer, right? They're taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. If you're learning from God, learn from the Father. If you're believing in Him, you if, if there's something that has struck it, you will come to Christ. A lot of things happen then, you know, and that's where repentance, that's where faith comes in and regeneration, all of this, all at uh, like at one time and 
and it happens. But you saw that. Uh, we read 44 and 45. Go to 65, verse 65, same chapter. For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted Him from the Father. Now I'm not just talking about election here today, even though it's a part of it, and that's kind of what this is, but yet it's much further than that. Much, much further. So, we've got what John is saying here. We can't come to Him unless it's been granted. It's got to come from the Father. And if it is granted, you come to Him, He will raise you up on the last day. I guarantee. You will be glorified. Okay, let's go to Ephesians now. verse, Chapter 2, verse 8. By the way, I'm just going to say it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of works. It is the gift of God. Repentance is a gift. Faith is a gift. It is a gift of God. Wow. Okay, we continue on. Turn to Philippians 1.29. What we're doing is we're trying to get the answer to where does faith come from. Philippians 2... 1. Chapter 1, I'm sorry. one twenty nine. For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake. By the way, the reason that we're going to be glorified and given from the Father to the Son is for whose sake? Our sake? It's for Christ's sake. His glory. What does it say after that? Not only to believe or faith, it's the same word, pistuo, pistis, it's not only granted for to believe in Him, but also for right now to suffer for His sake. I could omit that last line, but we know better. We've already had to study that, and we go, okay, yeah, I get it. But where does faith come from? That's where faith comes from. Did Steve Crane used to sing that song? We used to sing that song. Oh, time though. Second uh, Peter, I think it's Second Peter, chapter one. Son of Peter, bond servant, apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith, not worked up, but we received it, the same kind as ours, as Peter writes. You have the same faith we have by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Where does faith come from? It tells us clearly right there. Just keep reading. It says, well, we received it. And it says it's by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's where faith comes from. It's not our own personal faith. It's the faith that comes from God. And we make it, of course, real. It is our faith, but God gave it to us. We didn't have a natural tendency to have faith. His foresight or His foreknowledge, listen to this, is preconditioned by His decree to generate this faith. Did you catch that? I'm going to say it again. Faith is conditioned by His decree. And we're getting into one of the reasons what uh, prescience is foreknowledge by His decree. That's what generates the faith. We don't generate the faith. He generates it. 
regenerated by the Spirit of God. So, we're going to sum this up. What we're saying here is what foreknowledge is not. We sum up a poor interpretation, by the way, I say it's utterly inadequate and totally wrong in the way that people would say you can make a decision. It's a decision-based theology. It's not based upon what we're getting here straight from God's mouth. What they're simply saying here, and I say this simply, they are simply saying that God knew beforehand who these people would be sometime in history when they're living here on the earth, they would choose to believe. I'm one of those that believed that for a long time. Somewhere in my 30s, I was challenged by the fact that we are elected by God. I didn't think the word was biblical. I thought, that's really weird. I've never heard that. That's crazy. Come to find out, you find out all of the giants of the faith in the church have always believed. They believed this what we're talking about because it's right here. And whenever I come across foreknowledge and predestination, it sounds like a little bit heavy and I just go move on. Let's read something here I can understand. But God was patient with me. It took a few years and I worked through that and started seeing these passages that we looked at in John and Ephesians and Romans and I go, oh my. my God is much bigger than I ever thought. I didn't really choose him, did I? And at first it made me kind of mad. It it affronted me that I didn't have something to do with salvation. Well, I do because I'm here. But it wasn't of my choice. Because John 1 says it wasn't the will of man. It was the will of God. It's his purpose. So what is it really, Dennis? We just claim you're, you're, you're attacking other denominations and I'm not doing that. I'm just saying... If somebody believes this, they have not really searched the Scriptures on one of the highest doctrines. Salvation that concerns who God is first, and then also ourselves. You better check it out before you just hear something that seems popular of the day. Because something popular is popular doesn't make it right, does it? And of course, politics definitely proves that today, doesn't it? Anyway, what is it really? Well, I'll give you the Greek word. It's pra-gnosko. Pra is before. Uh, Gnosko is to know. And we'll get into that word know a little bit more. K-N-O-W. You ever heard of prognosis? It's to give... It's actually something that's given before there's some kind of surgery before they absolutely know for sure, but they're giving the prognosis. Here's what we are telling you this is or can be. Uh, here's what we can do. You know, it's, pro- it's telling beforehand. And so it's knowing beforehand in that sense. And that would be where we get our English word. Prognosco means to know beforehand. Okay, now, the first two links which we're looking at today. Foreknowledge, predestination. As R.C. Sproul says, predestination. My son, Zach, used to kind of mimic uh, Sproul when he used that. 
away destination. <laughs> That's just kind of the way that he accented the word. And it sounds too heavy to be in the, in the scripture. Is the word there? Absolutely. Even in our English. But the first two links is what God has, listen to this, what God has determined. Now we're getting into something a little different than what we just have been pointing out what the average Christian will say. It's something that he predetermined or something that he decided. And it has really no respect as far as us is concerned. The purpose of redemption is determined by God. It's controlled by God. It's controlled by God's foreknowledge. The purpose is controlled by God's foreknowledge. It's first, isn't it? Next is predestination, but it starts with that. They're very related. So the right way to see this is we're going to be looking in the New Testament. First of all, it means to know beforehand, and we, we know that, and we say, okay, know beforehand. That is in the very general sense. And the Arminians, that's that other theology. The Arminians uh, would say that, uh, yeah, he knows beforehand. He knows everything, so therefore he knows beforehand. He knows that. And we go, well, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. So that's the general sense. If you just stop at the general sense, well, you can just take that with human thinking, and that's why you wind up with that. Problem is, is that let's go on with what this word means. In its original text, God writes it, and he, every word is important. It's a knowledge of things before they come into existence. Certainly, he can see history before it happens. We agree with that. Number two, it means to predetermine, and I've already kind of uh, leaned toward that. Uh, it means foreordain. Foreknowledge means to foreordain or determine. So now we've gone a little bit further. Robert Haldane has a commentary on the book of Romans. It's tremendous. He says this, and I'm going to say this, this twice. And I hope I have it in the outline. I may not. Uh, but it's under predetermined or foreordained. God foreknew what will be. I'm going to say that again, and then I'm going to finish it. God foreknows what will be, yes, by determining what shall be. I'm going to say the whole thing together now. God foreknows what will be by determining what shall be. What does it start with? His determination. What He determines and that's how foreknowledge comes into this. He foreknows what is going to be or what will be because He determined it. How about that? Does that make sense? He foreknows because He determined it. That's why He knows. Okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to use Scripture to show how this determines comes into play or foreordained. Are you still hanging with me? You still got your thinking caps on. What we're going to do is base this upon God's Scripture. You can say, well, Dennis, I just think you're taking a theology here and you're just taking and flying with it and you are just coming up with something really weird. Well, we stand with the giants of the faith. 
But that wouldn't necessarily make it right. So we have to go to Scripture with it. Acts 2.23 This is tight. Nobody can argue with this. This man, Christ, delivered over by, look at this, the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless man and put him to death. So first of all, he says this was the plan of God. But also, evil men carried it out. How does that work? Well, we're getting into the mind of God that we have to be very careful. But it was God's will that Christ would be crucified. Would we all agree with that? Absolutely. How can we not? But yet, it was evil men that killed Him. We killed Him. Our sin killed Him, didn't it? The Romans killed Him. The Jews killed Him. Here we are today. The body of Christ killed Him. He died for our sins. But it says it was a predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God of what happened. So can we use the word foreknowledge is where He determined it. In the Greek, it means that. There are a lot of parts to it. He sees beforehand. And He actually he determines what this is. Uh, and we'll go on with the third part, which is the most juiciest of all. But first, we've got to prove this. Uh, we go to Romans... No, no, no. Go to Acts 4, 27-28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. You had already planned this, God, but yet the Romans and the Jews, Gentiles, they killed Him. But it was your purpose that you had already brought forth. Can you make sense out of that? Mostly, usually I say, I believe it. I don't quite understand how both of those things can happen. But we do know that God works all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He accomplished His purpose in Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. He decided that to happen. And yet there were men that did it. They chose to do it. God is not the one who's sinning here. But yet He is the one that made this happen and still not sent. And that will take an eternity to know. But we can get there as far as we can. The more you know about God, the more that you understand why He does certain things. And sometimes you don't understand why He's doing it. And that's okay. Because it's working out for the good. It's never for your bad, folks, with what's going on, good or bad. It's never for the bad. It's always for good. Is that upbeat or what? That's what we talked about last week. Romans 11, verse 2. We get about this foreknowledge, right? 11, 2. God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. 
Or do you not know what the Scripture says in this passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. What is Paul relating to here as he talks about Elijah and he talks about the purpose of God and he talks about foreknowledge? He said there were certain people of Israel that he foreknew. Who were they? Well, they were the elect before the foundation of the world. And he says, God is not going to abandon them. He's not going to send them to hell. And that's really what Paul is saying here. People are going to say, well, God has rejected Israel then. That's the, that's the next question they're going to ask. If he's opened it up to everybody and all the Gentiles, and it's, it's, it's his elect, and then they say, well then, he's done with Israel. Is that what you're saying, Paul? He's done with this. And he says, no, no. He's not rejected his people whom he, what? foreknew. The ones that he determined who were going to be in his family adopted, he was not going to turn his back on. They're safe. They're saved for eternity. And Paul is demonstrating that, and by the time he gets with the end of 11, he goes, wow, who can know the mind of God? Powerful, isn't it? I hope this is shocking us. 1 Peter 1, 2. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter 1, verse 2. He talks about all the aliens, Christians that are scattered all over different countries there. And then verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. So they are residing as aliens. They're scattered everywhere. And he says right at the end of verse 1, who are chosen. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and then the Son and the Holy Spirit are all involved in that great work. Uh, how could anybody argue with He's talking about the elect. According to the foreknowledge, according to God's predetermining, foreordaining in eternity past. According to His foreknowledge. Wow, that's incredible. Verse 20, 1 Peter 1. 1.20 For He was foreknown. That's Christ. He was foreknown. Predetermined. Before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. It's bringing Christ into play here. See in verse 19, he talks about a a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Uh, You know what he's saying there? He was foreordained to be the Lamb of God. He was foreordained. It was determined 
by the Trinity that Christ be foreordained to be the Lamb of God. So can it mean simply that God knows beforehand the ones who are going to believe in Him? It's much deeper, isn't it, by using these words. Now let's go on. Uh, I love this. I don't know how anybody can defeat against this Scripture. Acts 13.48 The Gospel is being delivered. The Holy Spirit is working in people's lives. And people are becoming saved. The message is preached. Paul and Barnabas are together giving the Gospel. Look at this, folks. Just in 47, he says, I have placed as you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And he speaks to the Gentiles. And look at this, folks. When the Gentiles who were there, who heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the Word of the Lord 